0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. ladies and gentlemen welcome once again to the Packernet podcast i am your host and resident panelist as always ryan tripp check us out at packernet.com find me on twitter pack underscore daddy just fought right through that yawn man just got to be a professional you know can't be uh can't be giving over your show to some 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 yawn can't be doing that Anyways, we did not have uh, very many, if any, uh, Patreon questions yesterday, not enough to do a show, so um, took the opportunity to sleep in a little bit on uh, this fantastic 2021 Easter. Hope you had a great holiday, or day, or whatever. Today is, in fact, Oversleep Monday. It's not a it's not a real bad one, but um, I do have to kind of hustle a little bit, so I kind of just got down here and pushed record, and we got to just start flying here. So hi, hello, let's get started. Um, I mentioned there were not enough Patreon questions for a show yesterday, but I do want to start off with a question. Um, this coming from Packers, or Pack Superfan, which I believe is also the Twitter handle. Something to that effect. I don't know. I believe your name is Mike. I don't know why I keep thinking that, and if I'm thinking that wrong, I think I've said that a few times, and I apologize. But for some reason, that's in my head. Brian, is there any player you feel will not be available at twenty nine that you would trade up for realistically? Of course, who might drop just enough that you'd trade up to get him? Um, and then it kind of repeats itself. I kind of thought about it for a minute. Um, you might be able to convince me of somebody, but I think the answer, and I'm pretty confident in this, is no. And that doesn't—that's not me saying I don't think the Packers will trade up. Um, obviously, they have their own board and the board operates the same way it's broken down into tiers and if somebody from a really high tier is falling to them and should not be there then the the correct thing to do in their mind is to trade up but as i've mentioned i think it's very important to have a lot of picks the packers financially are are getting into rough territory and it's going to be very important to have as many picks and as many opportunities to fill holes as possible And so giving away picks is the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. So it better be somebody really, really, really important. But as you really just kind of go down the line, um, and and this isn't true of every single draft class, but in this particular class, the way that the board seems to be broken down, I just don't really see it. I mean, if we go down the list, if we look at, geez, I don't know, um, start with cornerback let's say that's our biggest need. J.C. Horn is expected to go around 16. Then there's nobody. And then Greg Newsom is at 29 and Asante Samuel is at 44, which for those of you really wanting a corner, if we were to take this board at face value, we're not in a real good spot unless we just happen to land Greg Newsom right where we want him to be because he's right at 29. But I mean, if he's gone, then theoretically, the odds of us getting a corner based on this are not great. Now, again, I, I think it's entirely possible that, you know, we could take Asante, we could take Stokes, we could take Campbell. I don't think too many people would bat an eye at that. But do I think that the team, let's say JC Horn were to fall to 24, or let's say Caleb Farley, because it's so, Caleb Farley's so weird. And it's it's a prime example of how people can turn on a dime based on narrative. Patrick Sertan has been the number one corner since forever. Somebody got it in everybody's ear that for some reason, Caleb Farley is the best corner in, in the draft. And whenever I would do mock drafts of Patrick Sertan going first, people would flip out. And it's like, dude, it's Farley. It's Farley. It's totally Farley. Then somebody reminded everybody that Caleb Farley hurt his back once or something. Like, yeah, he hurt his back. Now it's like, oh, Caleb Farley. I wonder if we can get Farley in the first round. We probably get him in the second round. Like, it's just, it's so weird. But let's say the injury thing becomes a serious problem. I guess I shouldn't say serious problem, but enough of a problem that it sows enough doubt that he falls to like 24-ish. Would I trade up for him? No, I wouldn't. Because again, Asante Samuel, Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, Efedi Milfanwa, Elijah Molden, there's guys in the second round, third round even, that you could look at that are options. It's not so dire, especially since we brought back Kevin King, that we have to get a first round corner. And I don't know that J.C. Horn is sort of that generational talent in which if he's there, we have to trade up to get him. I'm not saying they wouldn't, but I, I just, I don't necessarily see it. Wide receiver, no. The only one that I could think that that would happen for is Rashad Bateman. I mean, there are legitimately some people that think he's the best wide receiver in the class, which I I, I think those people have hidden under a rock recently after seeing what Jamar Chase has done at his pro day. Same with the Devontae Smith as wide receiver one and Jalen Waddell is wide receiver one crowd. I think they're all in hiding right now. But no, I I don't think it would make sense um, because you got Kadarius Toney, you got Terrace Marshall, Rondale Moore, Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown. There's plenty of of legitimate top tier talent that you can get in the second round. And then, you know, guys like Tutu Atwell in the third round, even though he's not like a Devontae Adams type, he can do some damage in a Matt LaFleur scheme for sure. Um, Seth Williams in the third round, fourth round, Nico Collins, Jalen Darden. You can get role players, especially when you factor in um, Devontae is not coming off the field very much. Alan Lazard is a major part of this offense. That's something else people seem to forget. Matt LaFleur loves Alan Lazard. A major part of this offense is Alan Lazard, whether you like that or not. And so whoever you draft is going to be on the bench kind of a lot. So are we going to trade up for Rashad Bateman just so we can bench Lazard? Or are we going to bench Rashad Bateman? Or are we going to give up on this two running back dream? I mean, it can't be everything. Offensive tackle, that's one of those things where talent really is going to come into play. Based on the amount of people there, I doubt it. I mean, if Dara saw slides, but he's not going to. There's no way he makes it past Washington slash Chicago. Um, Tevin Jenkins is not, in my opinion, worth trading up for. I know he's a you know violent athletic guy. It seems to fit the mold, but Again, I'm not saying they wouldn't, because if they think he is just the, you know, one of their favorite guys in this class, would they just to secure him? Sure. But you got Sam Cosme, Jalen Mayfield, Alex Leatherwood, Liam Eikenberg. I mean, the the point is the way that the draft is laid out, it I just don't see a reason for it. You know, if, if Tevin Jenkins was was like the 25th best guy in this class and there's no real good tackles until like 50 you might be looking at it. that In that case, I might say yes. But look, you've got tackles galore. Um, interior offensive line, no, because I'm not trading up for a guard. Defensive line, you could maybe say it just because of what I've been saying about the lack of talent. Christian Barmore is at 26. The next best is 45. That might be the only one I could possibly see. But I just don't know if Barmore is that kind of a guy. I don't believe Barmore is like a generational talent. Now, again, if the Packers think so and they look at it and say there's nobody else in this class and we got to get somebody, okay, maybe they will. Would I? No. Do I like Barmore? Sure. Would I be excited if we got Barmore? Yes. Am I going to trade up for Barmore? No. Same with Edge. Not trading up for Jalen Phillips because we had Jason Oway, Joseph Asai, Carlos Basham, Joe Tryon, Ronnie Perkins. Would I trade up for a linebacker? Absolutely not. I hate first round linebackers. Am I going to get excited when we draft the first round linebacker? Yes. Because I'll just tell myself that this guy's going to be awesome. But again, I've seen the track record and it's not that good. And again, you got Jabril Cox and Jamin Davis as potential second round prospects. So, no. So, I, you know, I know his track record of trading up in the first round. He does it regularly. I just, if I had to guess, I would say that that track record ends. And I would say, if anything, it's more likely he trades back. But who knows? Again, Gudikus doesn't even know. He's not going into it saying we have to trade up. That's nobody does that. They have a board, and if you know, they have a way that they expect things to go. They don't expect the guys that they have really high on their board to get within range. If somebody does, then they're like, all right, we got to do something. We got to secure this guy because we never thought we would have a shot at him. So no, I don't think there's anybody in in this class. Um, given all the the circumstances, again, it's not really so much to the class. There are people that are worth trading up for. But given all the information, um, the alternatives that are available, as well as the Packers situation, I'm really not interested in in trading up. Dustin chimed in, not really a question, but a comment. Well, I guess there was a question at the end, but he says, in all honesty, Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia, interests me. He was good, not great in college, but he was as consistent as they come. Stokes has an RAS grade of 9.38. Which is, for those that don't know, a relative athletic score, which just takes into account all your athleticism based on your height, weight, uh, position, and it's out of ten. So nine three eight is fantastic. So he hasn't reached his ceiling, and I think Jerry Gray could make him an Adrian Amos type skill level. As much as Horn, Farley, Samuel, et cetera, are great, I think Stokes could be the plug and play guy we need. What are your thoughts on Stokes? So let's look at Stokes because I don't think we have quite yet. I did mention him just a few seconds ago as being sort of a an option in the first round because I think. Sertan, Farley, and Horn are gone. That leaves Newsom, Samuel, Stokes, Campbell, Melfonwu, Molden. Um, those are sort of the 2nd roundish guys that I think could potentially be first-round picks. Again, right now they're seen as second-round guys, but that's uh, the Packers have no qualms about taking guys that are a lot earlier than expected. They took Darnell Savage as the first safety. He was not expected to be the first safety. And they traded up for him. In fact, I can look at when he was expected to go. He was expected to go forty-fourth. Packers traded up in the first round to take him. Eric Stokes again at 48th. So definitely not out of range for the Packers at 29. So yeah, six foot one, uh, 185. And let, let me actually uh, let me use his pro day numbers here. So 194. So he did put on, I mean, that's almost 10 pounds. So six foot one ninety-four is definitely much more desirable. He ran an unofficial four two eight at his pro day and yes you should be skeptical of the numbers but a four two eight is fast that's all you need to know I mean there's there's no situation they could have their field going downhill which apparently part of the reason some of these pro days are nonsense is there was I forget who it was Purdue or something actually literally had um their forty times run at a downhill slant so everybody ran faster plus there's field type and all that but Nobody that isn't fast runs a 428 under any circumstance. I mean, unless you just threw him off a building, right? You throw me off a building, I'm gonna have a pretty quick 40. That's about the only way that I'm gonna go 40 yards, anything even close to a 428. Hopefully it's not much higher than 40 yards. That's all I'm saying. If we're planning on doing that. But yeah, as he pointed out, extremely consistent. Um, 2018, he graded out as an 82 overall. Uh, 2019, 81, 2020, which was somewhat of an abbreviated season, but he played most of the season, a 72, so down a little bit, um, but still a pretty solid season. Uh, Passer rating when targeted by year 54, 82, and 43, so even his down year, um, statistically, he was out of control, and largely that was because he was starting to get a little bit better with the interceptions. He didn't have a single interception in his first two years. He's never allowed a lot of yards, 113, 356, and 145, which is just crazy. Those are crazy numbers. Um, zero touchdowns in 2018, allowed two in 2019, zero in 2020, but had zero picks, zero picks. And then in 2020, he had four interceptions. But even beyond that, he's always been good with with pass breakups. So if you add 2020s, pass breakups, and interceptions, he had six, 2019, seven, 2018, six. So he's always been very good at uh, being disruptive, whether he catches it or just smacks it out of the air. Those are pretty solid numbers. And remember, he only played nine games. So with uh, if we're talking about a full NFL season, which is now 17 games, we're talking like 11 pass breakups, right? Or, or pass disruptions, picks slash pass breakups. That's pretty solid. He's also, although his, his run defense grade did dip in 2020, he's also graded out pretty well in that category, uh, especially tackling. 81, 85, and 80 were his tackling grades over three years. And then, yes, is on top of that, having that level of speed means there's a little bit of pass rush in there. He's had eight total pressures, including one sack over his three-year career. That's out of 29 pressure attempts. And then just for fun, um, because I don't want to go through every single game he played, but we'll just go straight to the top. Looking at Georgia versus Alabama, we've got two really good, we've got a ton of good wide receivers, and we've got two really good corners here. So Devontae Smith had a 91.4 overall grade. Jalen Waddell had a 74.1. Um, against Tyson Campbell, Devontae Smith, seven targets, five receptions, 72 yards. But Tyson Campbell also had a pick while targeting Devontae Smith against Jalen Waddell. Remember, we're not talking about Tyson Campbell, but I just want to talk about him first. One target, one reception, 90 yards and a touchdown. So he got a uh, 90-yard touchdown off of him, which isn't great. Eric Stokes, the guy we are talking about against Devontae Smith, two targets, two receptions for 20 yards, which is not that bad. Um, however, it does include a touchdown. Jalen Waddle, two targets, one reception, 13 total yards, negative one yards after the catch. Um, that one non-reception was a drop though. So basically neither Tyson Campbell or Eric Stokes were able to really stop Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle. but Eric Stokes certainly did a better job. Now, it doesn't give me statistics in terms of how many times he lined up against Devonte Smith. If they lined up 15 different times and he was only targeted twice and caught two receptions, that ain't bad. If it was only twice and both times he was targeted, both times he he caught passes, it's it's not great. So the context would be nice, but that's all I can give you. Either way, neither Jalen Waddle nor Devontae Smith really tore it up against Eric Stokes. Somebody was lined up against him every single snap. I don't know who, but he didn't do anything. So if you wanted to, that would be a good game to go watch and just understand that nobody really beat Eric Stokes for a lot. The worst thing done was Devontae Smith getting a touchdown against him, but that'll give you the much needed context of kind of who was up against him. I mean, was it John Mechie all day long or what? By the way, both of the corners in this game graded out horribly. <laughs> I mean, the, the stats are what they are, but Eric Stokes had a 46 overall grade and Tyson Campbell had a 43. So, um, And it's good to have that level of context because, you know, you look at guys that are coming out of this draft class right now. If let's just say the Detroit Lions draft Devontae And the Packers get Eric Stokes. Well, they've seen each other before. And Devontae Smith had a 91 overall grade and Eric Stokes had a 46. So, I don't know. Just saying. It kind of shows you something. But yes, largely very consistent. Lots and lots of upside. The RAS is through the roof, which the Packers seem to really like. They like guys that they can mold. They obviously believe very heavily in their coaches that they can use that, uh, that elite athleticism and get the best out of them. But anyways, we need to take a quick break. Thank you very, very much to Josh Rabska as well as Jacob Hoffer for jumping in on Patreon. I really do appreciate that. There is a new Discord link. So if you're not in the Discord chat where you can ask questions and just chat and whatnot, um, I posted a new link because I do think that those expire. Just go to Patreon and check out my latest post and you'll see the link there. If you'd like to join in, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. If you check the description of this episode, you can see all different kinds of ways to help support if uh, Patreon doesn't really do it for you. Otherwise, five-star iTunes review, tell your friends, tell your family, et cetera, et cetera. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. Zach Spies asked, looking at 2022 and 2023 season, is it even realistic that we're able to pay Devontae, Jair, Clark, Bakhtiari, Zadarius, and Rodgers? I think Jenkins is getting a decent contract too. The one thing that I know is a lot of these things tend to take care of themselves. And I know that sounds like a uh, nonsense way to answer this, but it's it's always the case that you look at the current situation and say, we're never going to be able to pay for these guys, and then we can. Uh, The salary cap is going to go up quite drastically. According to over the cap right now, the Packers are $8 million in the hole in 2022, and that's with Aaron Rodgers sitting at $40 million. Now, let me tell you this. I don't think there's any chance that Aaron Rodgers is going to eat up $40 million of the Packers' salary cap. No chance. I I don't want to dabble too much in the theory of him leaving and all that stuff because we've covered that. But again, the Packers are going to wait to see what happens. That's not to say they're going to wait to see if they're going to cut him necessarily. I, d- I still think that's relatively unlikely, but it, it wouldn't be that hard to just push money into next year because, again, remember, the the year after, 2023, is a pretty low cap number for Rodgers. So just take a pile of this and move it into the next year. The only reason they wouldn't do that is if they plan on moving on, and we'll get an answer to that. But either way, either we move on, which, again, relatively unlikely, but it's an option, in which case we're going to save about $22.5 million. Or we push some of that money into next year and deal with the problem next year. But I really don't think forty million dollars is going to be sitting there, and I don't think Zadarius is going to be taking up twenty eight million, which is currently his cap number. Are we moving on? Maybe. Again, when you take up this much money, there's a cat. There's there's a target on your back, and I don't care how good you are. Well, I guess I do care because that's that's the one thing that's going to keep you on this field. But when you position yourself to be making this much money, and I know some of it isn't their fault. I mean, it's the way that the Packers structured the deals, but. Um, $28 million, I'm sorry, Zadarius ain't worth that. There's not a pass, uh, Khalil isn't worth that. So um, I, I think, again, he's either going to get some kind of an extension, he's going to take some kind of a pay cut like Preston did, or they're just going to move on. Which, when you look at it from that standpoint, edge rusher might become very important. Not only do we have no depth behind Preston and Rashawn and, and Zadarius, but you look at it and say, very unlikely Preston comes back, and a decent chance Zadarius is playing his last snap. I, I still think a, an extension would make more sense, but it's still so much extra money sitting here. How much of an extension are you going to give them? Because you still got to factor in this this money, unless you're just giving them a whole new contract and ripping this up. I don't know. But um, either way, Zadarius and, and Rodgers are not going to be sitting with these contracts in 2022. Bakhtiari at $22 million, Yeah, I don't think you necessarily need to touch that. Preston sitting at $19 million, Give me a break. Now, I'm still mad that they did this. I'm still mad that we're looking at Preston getting $19 million. Well, it was it was a great deal because there's only a million and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, there, there's $7 million in dead money. Um, uh, $3 million of that is the roster bonus, which is due March 20th. So I think if we move on prior to March, we can deduct three from that. So we're only at about $4.2 million. So we'll save like 15 of that 19. But again, th- I mean, just think about that. We're saving $15 million from moving on from Preston. We give Zadarius an extension, which saves, I don't know, I mean if we get that down to 20, we're saving another 8 million. So that's like $23 million. And then Aaron Rodgers, if we get that from 40 down to 30, that's another 10. They they're doing really crazy stuff this year. That's going to not even cause problems necessarily because again, it, it, we we just have to it seems like we're just putting ourselves in a position where we're kind of pushing, we're delaying having to make tough decisions. Rather than cut Preston, rather than cut any of these guys, even Aaron Rodgers, it's like, eh, let's just put off the hard decisions and we'll just run it back and we'll see how it goes the, the next year. Right, let's just run it back. Let's just do the same thing all over again. We'll push everything out and we'll see how it goes. And they're kind of hoping that some of the hard decisions answer themselves. Somebody falls off. Somebody s- just starts screaming, hey, I'm no good anymore, get rid of me. And then it just answers itself. So, I mean, we're, we're just, we're a little bit too far out to be... uh totally freaking out about that situation. I know there's still a bunch of contracts to be factored into that. You know, Devonte Adams is going to have a bunch of money in 2022 that wasn't accounted for. Um, you know, a bunch of these other guys. But again, we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it and and I think it's not going to be quite as painful. If I say right now, well, we're going to be moving on from Zadarius and that's how we're going to be able to afford it, people are going to go into a a meltdown. But we're not going to move on if Zadarius proves that he's still a top tier pass rusher, then we're just going to extend him. If he doesn't, then you're not going to be as upset if we move on. We're going to realize that he was kind of a one trick pony. He had one really good year in 2019, 2020, he had a bunch of sacks, but kind of. Nye. And then 2021, he just really kind of fell off. And again, he just, we realize he's just not worth the amount of money he's being paid. And maybe we just end up trading the guy or cutting him, or we can't trade him. Cause it'd be a, uh, is it? No, he's not. He is. He's still under contract. Although it's going to be impossible to trade that that uh, that well, no, it won't. Because a lot of that stays with the Packers as dead money. So we would trade them, and it would be it would cost like twelve million dollars. Somebody might pay, but I don't know if we'd get a ton of compensation for that. I don't know. Again, we're we're so far down the road. I just I'll, all I would say is let's not worry about it right now. A lot of people are in super panic mode. The Packers are done. They're doomed. They got to tear it all down. Just by glancing at it, it doesn't look that terrible. It's not great. You never want to see us in the red. But I mean, some people are talking about we're like 50, 60 million dollars in the red and we're doomed. We're the Saints. We're done. We got to tear. It's like, what are you talking about? Where are you seeing this? I don't know what you're talking about. A couple of these these contracts are fake. They're They're so ridiculously inflated. They're not going to stay at that number. Why do you think everything's static? They only look at the bad, they never look at the good. Right? They look at the bad as it is, and then they add in Devontae, they add in all these things, and they never take away anything. They never look at it and say Aaron Rodgers is not going to be 40 million against the cap. Zedarius is not going to be 30 million against the cap. They only add to the negative. They never take anything away. But again, it'll it'll work itself out. We'll figure it out. I don't know. It's not again, it's not a great situation. And they're gonna have to make some tough decisions, but they're they're not gonna be stuck in the red. So can we pay all these guys? Well, Jair Clark. Bakhtiari, 100% are going to be on the team. Devontae's 100%, well, I shouldn't say 100%. He hasn't gotten his contract yet. Um, I would say I'm 99.95% sure that he's going to be getting a contract. Some people are saying, well, we just can't pay him, so he's going to leave. No chance. No chance this team paid Aaron Jones, but is going to let Devontae walk. 0.05 chance that that happened. I should say 0.0005. I'm leaving a little bit of room in there, but I mean, come on, man. For a team that historically never lets their top-tier walk. A a team that would refuse to even let Aaron Jones walk. They're going to let Devontae go? Give me a break. You guys are panicking. Relax. Again, remember, a lot of these big contract extensions come right prior to the season, right? Uh, You know, you look at Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, Aaron Rodgers, all these contracts, they don't come in March, April, May. We want it to happen now because we feel like we need a bunch of money, but we're good. We're in the black. We're fine. Now, maybe maybe we still need more money. I still don't even know what the official cap number is. I don't know if anybody does. I'm still seeing Ken Ingalls, like, once a week come out and go, okay, so here's how this was structured. Like, we're still trying to parse this. So maybe they are a little bit under the gun to get some money to be able to sign the draft prospects and whatnot. I don't know, but I doubt they're going to have to rush Devontae just for that. They're going to get the numbers right. They're going to figure it out. But you, you, we don't need to panic. So Devontae, Jair, Clark, and Bakhtiari are going to be on the team. The only possible nightmare scenario is that Kenny Clark just does not figure it out and things just continue to decline. And that ends up being just an absolute nightmare where Kenny Clark had a couple good years and, um, he just continues to decline and he was not worth that contract and come like 2023, we just move on from, um, 2022 he's, he's got a $20 million cap hit. 15 of that is dead money. If we move on from 2023, we got some options, but that's, that's only if things just continue to not do anything. I mean, if, if this guy's got a top tier contract and he's getting three sacks a year, it's like, you know, that ain't that ain't going to fly. And it looks like today is going to be uh, Patreon day because I think this might be the last question. But uh, Dustin says, what are your thoughts on, he's got a couple different prospects here, but let's run through them quickly and then I think we'll be done. Um, offensive tackle Cole Van L- uh, Landon, I believe from Wisconsin, not Linnin. but Lennon would be funny. So I think the first thing to point out about Cole is, and this happens to a lot of guys and, and every single year, there's this common theme where there's about 50% of the tackles, the, pro, the the scouts and whatnot say he's not a tackle, he's a guard. And then David Bakhtiari chimes in and says, they said I was a guard and look at me now, right? I, my arms are too short and look at me now and all that. And it's it's this constant boring thing. He's in that that line, 6'5", 312. He's a, just a big body mauler, and I think a lot of people look at him as a tackle and go, I don't think he can hack it out there. I think he's going to have to go inside. Um, he's more of a mauling run blocker than than a, than a true pass blocker, although, I mean, he can do both. And I think, again, if you kick him inside, it becomes a little bit easier for him, right? You're kind of working in smaller spaces. And so, again, that could kind of help. Um, he's only ever played left tackle at Wisconsin for uh, like four years now. So it would be a little bit of an adjustment. He's expected to go around the sixth round, but you could wonder. I mean, if the sixth round projection is him as a as a tackle, maybe he goes a little bit earlier because some people think he could be a top notch guard. So who knows? Maybe somebody pulls the trigger on him in the fourth round, fifth round, something. I don't. Know. But uh, that's that's Cole Van Landon in a nutshell. He asked about Charles Snowden, a linebacker again, another sixth round prospect. Big guy, six foot seven, two hundred and forty pounds. Um, you got to wonder. I mean, he's he's very thin frame. I mean two forty is small if he was six foot one. He's six foot seven. So you, you picture real tall and real lanky. So um he's gonna have a hard time with you know, you got these three hundred and twenty pound guys that are six foot three that are getting inside of his chest. I mean, that's just it's gonna be kind of tough. So strength is kind of an issue, length is is obviously an asset. And apparently, in his final year, he went from two twenty-five to two forty. So he had, he's had to work to add on some weight to his frame. I mean, I, I think there's there's plenty more weight he can keep adding. I don't I don't know if they're going to want to do that. But um, if we just look at some of the pros and cons in his uh, draft guide here, elite lankiness, which is such a weird way to put, because lankiness is not usually a positive. Elite lankiness, height and length that makes a lot of things easier as a defender. Obviously, in coverage, that's going to make things easy. Although he doesn't cover very well. Special agility for a player his height. Often beat blocks by not even getting touched. Crazy tackle radius engulfs ball carriers. Unsurprisingly, a batted pass machine 12 over his past three years. Negatives. Skinny as he can be, no power to him. Moves so unnaturally. I don't know how that gets fixed. Hasn't really developed any go-to pass rushing moves, pass rushing grades, stagnate. Slow to process, can see the wheels turn. So those are big negatives. The mental processing side for a linebacker is incredibly important. And for some guys... Not to be mean, and I'm not saying that about Charles. Some guys, you just need to be coached, and they just need to learn. Some guys, they just don't have it upstairs. It's just a reality. We we all have different minds. You know those people that you went to school with that are just special, and you know those guys that that had to work really hard at it, and you know some guys that work hard, and they just can't get there. It is a reality in life, and it is is something that needs to be taken into account. I think that note more than just about anything, but but again, even when they say that the movement is unnatural and all that, it's, there's there's a lot of... You, you could call him a project, but at the same time, you look at him and say, what what is his ceiling? What can we get out of him? At his best, what can he be? And there also seems to be a bit of confusion whether he's a linebacker or an edge rusher. I know you listed him as a linebacker. In this draft guide, he's considered a linebacker. On PFF's um, actual website, they have him listed as an edge rusher. But then down here, they have him as right outside linebacker, left outside linebacker, which usually is an off-ball linebacker. So maybe they use him interchangeably. I don't know, but he seems to rush the passer quite a bit. He had 17 pressures on 131 attempts. Uh, grades have been relatively consistent, right in the 70s, so that's always nice to see. Um, he does also drop into coverage a ton. So again, he's he's kind of a it's kind of a unique guy where he's dropping in coverage and and pass rushing about the same amount, and he's also obviously got a ton of run defense, which doesn't really tell me anything because both positions, if it's a run, it's a run, right? So I mean, you could call that a positive because you can use them in a bunch of different ways, maybe the best thing to do would just be put him on the edge. He's going to have to pack on a lot of weight, but I don't know. I, I guess I don't really know. Uh, next on your list, you had Victor Demokaj, who is uh, out of Duke, considered a kind of seventh-round undrafted free agent prospect. The final note that they're the, the bottom line that they put on him, they said it's very worrisome that Demokaj is already one of the most refined rushers in the class, yet still lacked production. And I think what they mean by that is He seems to have hit his ceiling. He's doing everything right, and he still can't quite finish, right? Like, for example, if you took my six-year-old and say, let's say that we gave them, we gave him every ounce of information that Zadarius had. We just implanted Zedarius's brain. He knew all the technique. He understood everything. And then you go and put him up against Elton Jenkins, he's still never going to win because he just doesn't have it physically. So there's nowhere to go as far as what we can do. I mean, for my son, it's just kind of give it, give it uh, 15 years. But um, for Victor, I don't know. Um, He is fairly consistent, 21 years old, 6'3", 265. Um, His first year he was 67, then 72, 73, 73. So there's that straight up consistency. Um, I think some of the negatives is that he never really goes off entirely. And I, I actually don't think his stats are that bad. I don't really know what they're talking about. 46 pressures on 332 attempts and eight sacks seems productive to me. So I don't know where they're coming up with that. Run defense has been like 67, 67, 69, 69, 67. I mean, wildly consistent. Not in a good way necessarily, but decent enough, I guess. Um, but even the year prior, 46 pressures on 308 attempts and 10 sacks. I mean, that's that seems wildly productive to me. And in fact, they even gave him good pass rush grades the last three years. So do I have the right guy here? I, I do. <laughs> I don't know. Lacked production. I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. Anyways, a couple of their other notes. No hesitancy to his rushes. Attacks full bore off the snap. Veteran set of pass rush moves. A lot of options at his disposal. Get off that forces some urgency from opposing offensive tackles. The negatives, they said, well below desired length for the position. Does not play up to the listed 265 pounds. Not particularly stout. Plateaued as a pass rusher. Graded out about the same for three straight seasons. Yeah, but his grades were decent. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like they're trying to say things negatively that aren't really even negative. Like he he had a, a an average grade his first year and then he jumped up to being good for three straight years and they're like I oh, he flat he plateaued like it's <laughs> such a weird unnecessarily negative way to say that um, hands have no pop struggles to keep himself from getting locked up by line all right fair enough still think they're being a little unfair um, based on statistics and and their own grades uh, his his again his tackling has not been great his run defense is kind of suboptimal especially you got to take into account he plays for Duke. So he's going up against kind of second tier teams, um, not bad teams. I mean, Notre Dame, Boston College, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, NC State, Charlotte, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, Miami, and Florida State. So these are decent enough teams. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say this is—I mean, depending on the position we're talking about, these are pretty top tier. I mean, we know Virginia has a top tier tackle. Um, several of these teams do. So again, I'm—I'm I'm not super mad. I mean, you, at some level, you're going to have to put on the tape and just watch him, right? That's what this all comes down to. I can tell you as much as I can tell you based on statistics and based on their own draft guides, if you're curious about him, you just got to go watch him and form your own opinion. Um, Again, the the one negative about him is that he doesn't really have elite games. His highest graded game was a 79.5, which is rated about what he's at. I mean, he's consistent and that's great. He doesn't really have a lot of bad games, but he doesn't really have those top tier just taking over a game type games, which I guess is why he's going to be a late round guy, right? Um, 2019, he had one game. I mean, his his second highest grade was a 73, which is kind of painful. But his highest was an 84, so there you go. He had a 91 pass rush grade. But um, I don't think he's, he's really, the statistics have ever been bad. I mean, his first year in 2017, 23 pressures out of 282 attempts, three sacks. That's not good. But right away in year two, three, 39 of 378, which is like 11-ish percent, which isn't elite, but it's something. And then five sacks. And then again, he's up in 46 the last two years. And he's barely cracked 300 pass rush attempts those years, so that's solid. And he had 10 and eight sack. So yeah, I just I don't know where these criticisms are coming from. Doesn't doesn't drop into coverage a lot. He's just kind of a straight up rusher, really bad at it when he's done. But um, yeah, I I don't know. It's kind of kind of a strange thing. Something else to consider is the people doing the draft. I mean, there's a lot of people at PFF. Um, JJ likes to point out a lot that he likes PFF, but the guys that run their social media and whatnot are terrible. And I. Kind of agree with that. A lot of things that they say are like, "What are you talking about?" They're trying to add a lot of their own context and their own opinions to things, and sometimes it's like, "I don't know where you're getting that from." That's silly. There's probably different people doing different things. So the guys doing the draft guides are scouts that are forming their opinions, and they're not necessarily just reading the grades and transferring that to the to the draft guide, right? They have actual scouts scouting, so maybe it doesn't exactly line up. But again, you should at least reference your own your own statistics when you're saying that the guy doesn't have a lot of production, because I don't think that that's true. I mean, I can't even sit here and say, well, okay, he didn't have great sack numbers, but the pressure numbers were good. No, he had decent sack numbers. I mean, eight sacks is not bad and 10 sacks the year prior. I think that's, I mean, even, I don't I don't know, even in the NFL where you have more games, that's pretty solid. You have less games in college and you're putting up eight and, you know, 18 sacks in the last two years. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird critique. And then finally, linebacker Monty Rice out of Georgia. I appreciate you guys giving me this so that I can have sound bites um, to refer back to. Got to remember to say positive stuff so that when they get drafted by the Packers, I can see, I told you I liked him. But uh, again, I don't know if you're just hunting for guys with consistency or what, but he's got uh, Monty Rice is a uh, linebacker. His grades 70, 73, 73, and 77. Again, just wildly consistent. Um, His biggest asset clearly is run defense and especially tackling. 82, 87, fell off in 2019, and then an 86.5 tackling grade. He's been basically elite for three out of his four years as a tackler. Um, but he's six one two thirty five, 235, so, you know, you, you kind of, it's one of those things that maybe you feel like you can develop him into a slightly better cover guy. Not that he's been bad, and in fact, his final year was his best year, 63, 67, 64, and then 70 coverage grade. Um, statistically, 22 of 23 were caught, which is not great. You don't want to see 95.7% um, of the targets were caught. But uh, 198 yards, which is not a lot by a mile. Um Zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, one pass breakup. So so the one that didn't get caught was a pass breakup, which is which is nice, I guess. But statistically, it's not terrible. Right? A lot of the passes that were caught must have been extremely short. Yards per reception, I guess nine yards. That's not that short, but whatever. no real big gainer. But um, kind of a tackling machine. Doesn't miss tackles hardly at all. 39 tackles, 11 assists, and three missed tackles. Had 26 stops. A stop is a tackle that is a negative play for the offense. Two forced fumbles. Also added in six total pressures, including a sack out of uh, 30 attempts. So not terrible as far as a, a pass rusher, I guess. Biggest thing with Monty Rice is going to be his speed, which again is where you you look at the grades and say he can't do it. But you look at 235 and the guy can fly around the field and you think, well, you could probably develop that. And again, remember, our defensive coordinator is, a, is an ex-linebackers coach. So if there's anybody that's thinking we can kind of mold a guy, it's probably our defensive coordinator. Uh, quickly, if we look at pros and cons, and he is expected to be a fourth-round prospect, pros, great, sifting through trash and staying square in the run game. And, and, and again, if you're looking for a guy that's got speed to go sideline to sideline because we just don't have that guy, as well as a guy that can just drop quickly into coverage, again, there's still an issue of ability and talent. It's not just a matter of, you know, speed isn't the only thing. Processing is a big part of speed, but also just execution. I mean, it's no good to be fast and get wrapped up um, in, in, the, in, the, in the mess and mire. And you also got to be able to make tackles. But again, that doesn't seem to be a problem. The first note is that he's great at sifting through trash and staying square in the run game. And again, he's a fantastic tackler. So I, I kind of love that as far as fit, just based on that. Wraps up in space about as well as any linebacker in the country, under 10% missed tackle rate in his career. Can Scoot, sideline to sideline range, was at catch point with Jalen Waddle 35 yards downfield. Built low to the earth, uses that leverage to his advantage. So starting to love Monty Rice. Again, seems like there's some developmental things as far as improvement, but, I mean, you got a guy that's a great tackler, that's great in the run game, that's 235 pounds and can fly sideline to sideline, that's kind of impressive. Uh, as far as the negatives, little playmaking instinct and in coverage, doesn't trust his eyes, three career pass breakups, reactive player in general, allow 22 catches on 23 targets, I just mentioned that, um, scope of vision is limited, doesn't recognize things developing around him, length less than ideal for the linebacker position. So again, I mean, you're not going to get a perfect guy in the fourth round, but as far as the Packers trying to get what they're looking for in the mid-rounds, which is when they tend to like uh, to attack the linebacker position, it kind of seems to be a perfect fit to me. He's probably going to be a big disappointment. He's going to let a lot of uh, passes get through and really frustrate us or whatnot, but um, as far as a guy that they might want to pick up and try to develop, this one makes a lot of sense. But anyways, i got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.